All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are finishing a series today called On the Vision, and I want to talk to you today about a vision for gospel transformation, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is maybe the greatest chapter in all of the Bible on that, and 2 Corinthians 5, 17 may be the greatest verse in all of the Bible on that. And so, so I want to talk about what it means to have a vision for gospel transformation by kind of examining what gospel transformation looks like. The last few weeks, we've went through what I consider to be our core values. We talked about um, gospel-fueled worship, and we talked about gospel-shaped community, and we talked about gospel-advancing mission, just those three components. Jesus tells us the greatest commandments, love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? We're to love our neighbor as ourself, and so that means uh, the way it's all about how our life orients itself towards God and towards others, and that manifests itself in the believer's life through worship community and mission as we love God, as we love one another in the local church, and as we love our neighbor and uh, seek to share the gospel with them. And so you might notice when I phrase those things, I, I talk about gospel-fueled and gospel-shaped and gospel-advancing. Why is that? Is that just so we can have, is that so we can be wordy? Can't we just say worship, community, and mission? Well, there's a reason why we tie all that to the gospel, and that's because we don't just value any worship. Um, everyone worships. All worship is not valid. All worship is not correct. All worship is not true worship. Jesus says the Father is seeking those who will be true worshipers, right? And so the gospel transforms us into people who worship God from the heart and who, 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 who really worship God. And it fuels our worship as it continually transforms us day by day as we think about the good news of what Jesus has done. And the gospel shapes us into the people of God. It forms us and molds us. It, it's the gospel that has carved us out of the world and made us belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has purchased us on the cross. And the gospel continues to shape our attitudes and behaviors and what this community of faith is supposed to look like and be like and how we're to treat one another our very DNA, if you will. And then it's the gospel that we're trying to advance through mission. We're not just on some mission. We're not just in some community. All of this is tied back to the gospel. And so we're not just on a mission to, to, to get a church to be larger or to, to gather more people into a room to hear songs and listen to, to me or someone talk. Now we're trying to advance the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done. That is the mission that we're all about. The gospel is central everything we do. It's the central story of the Bible, the most important news in the world, and the most relevant story on the planet. It's the one thing every single person you know needs, believer and unbeliever alike. Unbelievers need the gospel. Believers need the gospel. We're always preaching the gospel here and trying to apply the gospel. It fuels and shapes us and motivates us. Now, at the end of the day, as a people that exist to glorify God, we know the greatest way that happens is through the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, transforming a life. So we want to see God transform our lives and God transform our neighbors' lives through the power of the gospel. Imagine a church fully sold out to seeing themselves and their neighbors and the nations transformed by the gospel. A church where that what matters more to the person that's sitting in the chair on your left or on your right... What matters most to them when it comes to church is how can I be transformed by the gospel? How can my neighbor be transformed by the gospel? How can my fellow church member be transformed by the gospel? How can the person I work with be transformed by the gospel? How can we see more people transformed by the gospel? What was, that was the passion that ran through each and every one of us as we gathered on Sunday mornings and lived our lives throughout the week. We know our world is broken. Our own nation seems to be coming part at the seams a little more every year. 
And the answer is not political posturing and it's not winning debates and it's not owning the other political party or whatever your choice might be. It's not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. It's not liberalism and it's not conservatism. The answer and the only answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what our nation needs. It needs to experience heart change through the power of the gospel. And the truth is, we all need that kind of transformation. Even if you're a believer and you say, man, I've been, I've been a Christian since I was seven or eight years old, you still need gospel transformation in your life. God's not done with you. He's not done changing you. He's not done molding you. He's not done making you into the person He wants you to be. And He will not be done with that until we're gone from this earth and we're with Him in glory. We all need transformation. We all know our families and our communities and our city, our state, our nation, and our world needs it. But we don't just need any transformation. We don't just need any change. We don't just need to turn over a new leaf. We need specifically gospel transformation. Just like we don't need any worship, just any community, any mission, we need it to be connected to the gospel. We need something done by God in Christ, not by us. That's what our world needs. We cannot bring lasting eternal change. Not to our families, not to our friends, not to our nation, not to our world. Only God can do that in the gospel. 2 Corinthians contains one of the greatest passages on gospel transformation. We're going to really focus in on verse 17 and part of verse 18, but for context, I want to start reading in verse 16. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, I'm reading from the ESV. It's on the screen for you this morning. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now let me take a moment to put these verses in context of what Paul's talking about. In in verse 11 of chapter 5, Paul begins in his letter to the Corinthians to move towards Uh, the ministry that every believer is called to. And in a sense, he's explaining his ministry, and that's the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of seeing people reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And he talks about how knowing the fear of the Lord, that he and the other apostles, for instance, and those serving with him, persuade others because they know the the fear of the Lord. They understand who God is. They understand that everybody's going to give an account to God. He's explaining his ministry. This is why I do the things I do. He's explaining his passion to preach the gospel. He actually says at one point, you know, if I seem crazy, basically, (laughs) this is why, right? We're compelled by the love of God. He goes on to say in verses 14 and 15, just the two verses before what we read, he says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's about the gospel. He says, Jesus Christ, the one, has died for all. A substitution has taken place. Jesus in the place of sinners. For us believers, when Christ died, we died, right? His death was for all. It's like, it's like we have died. It's, he died in our place as our substitutes, what he's pointing to there. Is the wages of sin is death. And then he says, that's what, that's what he's pointing to. But the reason he died, he says, he, he goes on to say, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for, for the risen one. 
for Jesus. So in other words, Jesus didn't just die for us so that we can be forgiven. It's more than that. He wants us to be forgiven, but he wants us to live for him. And Paul was compelled and he controlled by Christ's love. Jesus had so transformed him that he was compelled by, controlled by the love of Christ. He could not help but to go forward with the gospel. As a believer, he couldn't live for himself any longer. He had to live for Christ. He belonged to Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing here is he's explaining himself. Think about that for a second. He lived in such a way. He went forward on mission in such a way. This viewer small group this morning, you saw it in Acts 16. He, he was so compelled to go forward with the gospel. You saw it in Acts 16. At one point, God's like, no, go here instead, right? He's having to like hold the reins back and steer him another direction. He's so compelled to go forward with the gospel. He has to explain himself. Imagine living in such a way that you have to explain yourself for all the right reasons, your commitment to the gospel. Paul goes on to explain in verse 16, he no longer sees people the same. That's what we read this morning. We regard no one according to the flesh anymore. I don't see people the same way anymore is what he's saying. Jesus has changed the way I view everyone. I don't even see Jesus the same way anymore, he said. He used to view things merely on a human level is what he's saying there, according to the flesh. I, I used to just think of Jesus as a, as a teacher and really, as a, a, from Paul's perspective, a false teacher, a false messiah. And I saw everything on a, just a humanistic level, but now I see things Differently, I understand who Jesus is, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ. And I see everything through that lens, through the fact that Jesus is who He said He is, that He is risen from the dead, and that everyone must give an account from Him, right? That has that shaped how He views everything. I'm one of those people that I have to wear glasses or contacts. Every now and then I get some comments when I wear glasses because I don't do it very often. And when I take them off, let me just tell you, well, for, some of y'all got a lot better looking. But <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell, I can't see anything. Like, I know because I have my glasses on that Dave and Sharon are sitting on the front row, but I, I can't hardly tell that with my glasses on. That's how bad my eyesight is. But man, when I, with the glasses on, everything's, woo, 2020. It's 2020. It's way, it's way not 2020 without them. But everything's different. I see everything different. I can recognize people. Everything is different. I live with more confidence. Everything is different when it's 2020. And Paul is saying there was a time I viewed people one way, and viewed Christ one way, and everything has changed now that I've come to faith in Christ. And it's like he's went from blind to 2020, and he sees th he sees things. What he really sees things from is God's perspective. His viewpoint is coming lying with the gospel. The gospel has so transformed him; he no longer sees things on merely a human level. Because Jesus changes how we see people, he changes how we see him, he changes how we see others. And the only thing that can explain this change that comes that where you so see things differently is because you belong to Jesus and have been transformed by him and his gospel. And that's what verse 17 is explaining. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. The new has come. Gospel transformation. That's what he's talking about there. And looking at this verse, we learn three things about gospel transformation. And since that's what we're aiming for in our lives and in the lives of others, let's examine those three things that we need to know about gospel transformation. Number one, transformation is a gospel promise. Transformation is a gospel promise. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not he might be, not he should be, not he is a new creation. That is a guarantee, a promise. Anyone, anyone who is in Christ 
If they're truly in Christ, they are a new creation. What does that mean? Well, what does it mean to be in Christ? That's the first question we have that. What does it mean to be in Christ? You see that? If you read the New Testament, you'll see that time and time again, especially in Paul's writings in the New Testament. It's talking about, it can, it can actually point to several things, but primarily, I believe, our union with Christ, our relationship with Christ. In Romans 6, 3 and 4, Paul says this. He writes to the Romans, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the, uh, to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, believers are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We are in Christ. We are hid in Christ. We are safe in Christ. Positionally, we are placed into Christ at conversion. Jesus has taken our sin and given us his righteousness. And when God looks at us, he sees one who is hid in Christ, who is in relationship with him through Christ. Their sin is covered. Jesus' righteousness has covered us. We are in Christ. And the way you become positionally in Christ is when you believe the gospel. You believe what Christ has done for you. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived a sinless life, who died in the place of sinners on the cross, paying our sin debt, and three days later rose from the dead in victory for our justification before God. When you turn from your sin to Jesus and embrace that message of his life, death, and resurrection, believing that gospel, that good news, that's what the word means, good news, then you are in Christ. You are placed in Christ. That is your spiritual reality before God. That is your position before God. And Paul says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. It's an important phrase. Paul is speaking to the fact that we are made into brand new people from the inside out. He is also speaking to a bigger thing that's at work. The phrase he uses there. He's talking about the fulfillment of the new creation that is coming about. See, the world we know, as we mentioned in the beginning, is broken due to sin. We talk about that a lot here. God is in the business of saving sinners. But there is more even than that, more brokenness than that. God is going to create ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. God is reconciling all things to himself, putting them where they belong. In Revelation 21.1, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's going to come down, right? Heaven is coming to earth. And so when Paul writes, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation, that, he's not, he could have just said you've been made brand new. He's using that phrase on purpose. He's pointing to the fact that we are the beginning. We are the beginning of a promise. A gospel promise that God will make all things new. In Revelation 8, 19, in verses 22-23, Paul writes to the Romans, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation is longing for that day when we are made into the people ultimately that God has saved us to be. And in verse 22 it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What's Paul saying here? He's saying there is more to come. There's coming a day when right now creation has to put up with a lot of stuff. It's riddled with brokenness. And we see it 
all around us with violence and poverty and all kinds of things, right? And we see just things that are just kind of not right that we see in the world. And decay, whether it's moral decay or just actual decay, just the fact that this world is kind of bent out of shape in a lot of ways and broken. Paul says it's not willingly, but it was subjected right to this futility. And he's saying that the creation is eagerly waiting for the day when sinners who have been placed in Christ are giving new bodies and we don't sin anymore. Because when creation gets that day, creation also gets the day of ultimately new heaven, new earth. A place with no sin and it's not touched by sin. Think about that. We, we think of heaven as clouds and harps. That's not heaven. And the, the final heaven ultimately is a new heaven and a new earth. A thriving city, a thriving community, a thriving place with God at the center and no sin anywhere. And us doing life and serving God in freedom from sin. And we long for that day, but so does creation. So does creation. And that's what Paul's pointing to here in 2 Corinthians 5 is that day. In Romans 8, he said that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, there's more to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and He's begun to transform us from the inside out. But there's coming a day when we're literally going to be transformed on the outside and given a body that doesn't get old and that doesn't get sick and that doesn't hurt and that doesn't die. But we have the first fruits. One day we'll experience all things made new. See, transformation is a gospel promise. If you repent and believe the gospel, you will be transformed. You will become a new creation. That starts now, and it's consummated in finality in the age to come. But it begins now. It begins with Him changing our heart and giving us a new heart, a new spirit within us that longs to obey His word. And that's a guarantee, and the fact that His spirit now resides in us is the guarantee of more that is to come. If you don't have the first fruits, you're not getting the final fruit. That's how it works, right? And so gospel transformation in this life is pointing us toward gospel transformation that is to come in finality. It's a gospel promise. And we like guarantees. We like promises, right? We like money-back guarantees. I promise you this chemical will take that stain out of your carpet or your money back. Okay, I'll think about it, right? We like guarantees. We, want it, we like the security that it offers. And there's no greater guarantee than to know this. <laughs> you repent and believe the gospel, you're going to be transformed. Our lives are never the same. And the greatest transformation is still to come. Gospel transformation is a gospel promise. And we commit ourselves to seeing gospel transformation in Baldwin Park. In your neighborhood, if it's not Baldwin Park. In greater Orlando, we are committing ourselves to something that is guaranteed to all who will believe the gospel. We have an obtainable vision because the gospel works, because the gospel is true. So if you're in Christ today, you are a new creation. That promise is yours. And our lost friends, our lost neighbors, our lost family members, they too can experience gospel transformation if they repent and believe the gospel, but they, it has to get to them first. So number one, transformation is a gospel promise. Number two, transformation is an end and a new beginning. He says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's explaining what it looks like, what, what's happening when you become a new creation. Old things pass away. The new has come. That's what transformation looks like. On a theological level, much was happening in, in, in his. But 
Christ has enacted a, a new and better covenant, we find out in the New Testament. One commentator pointed out how the Old Testament pointed to the new that was to come. In Isaiah 42, 9, it talks about new things that were to come. In Jeremiah 31, he talks about the new covenant. In Ezekiel 36, he talks about the new heart and the new spirit. In Isaiah 62, he talks about the new name. In Isaiah 42, he talks about singing a new song. And hey, in Isaiah 65, he talks about the new heaven and the new earth. On a, on a theological level, there's a lot wrapped up when he talks about old things passing away, behold, all things becoming new. There's a lot of theological stuff going on there from the Old Testament. On a very practical level, we experience that in this life through old things in our life passing away, old attitudes, old behaviors, and new things come. Beginning of new ones. In Christ, the old has passed. Guilt is gone. Shame is gone. Fear of judgment is gone. Enslavement to sin is gone. Powerlessness against sin is gone. Dead religion is gone. Darkness is gone. We're, we're dead to sin. There is an end has come. An abrupt end has come. At the same time in Christ, the new has come. Forgiveness has come. And peace has come. Freedom has come. Joy has come. Spiritual life and vitality has come. There's, there's a sense in which there's an ongoing transformation that's happening, but we can't miss the fact that there is a sense in which there is an abrupt change that takes place when we're given a new nature in Christ and the chains of sin are broken. That's why life change begins with conversion. Listen, every year... On December 31st, we gather and celebrate New Year, whether it's at home and you're in bed asleep or whether you're one of those people that travels to New York and watches the ball drop, right? But millions of people gather there and on TV and watch this, and we count down, right? 10, 9, 8, 7, all the way down, and then it changes. And all of a sudden, in a twinkling of an eye, just like that, it went from 2017 to 2018. The old year is gone, and a new year has come. As soon as that clock strikes 12. And I'm telling you, conversion is the clock striking 12 in your life. The old is gone, the new has come. And you can't go back. You've been transformed from the inside. Now we can struggle and we can fail. A lot of people can live in 2018 like it's, you know, 2015 or whatever. We, we, can, we can refuse to, to deal with the fact that things are changing and things are new. But in Christ, you're new. And we have to choose to live in the light of that reality every day that we have been transformed by the gospel. It's, a, it's an end and a new beginning. Now that doesn't mean we don't struggle with our old life, like I said. We still struggle with sin in the old life. But the ultimate chains of sin are broken and we are free and we have a choice and we can choose to follow Jesus and be empowered to live for Him. Paul explains this in even more detail in Ephesians 4. Let me read it to you. I'm not going to comment a lot on it, but I want to read it. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. It should be on the screen for you. Paul tells the Ephesians, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He's just explaining the lost condition. Verse 19, They have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, this is a more detailed description. The old is gone. You put off your old self, the corrupt self. You put on the new self. That's what gospel transformation looks like. It's like becoming a new person because that's what it is. All things become new. See, following Jesus means life change. When we say we are here to help people trust and follow Christ, we believe that if that happens, if they trust and follow Jesus, they will never be the same. Old things will pass away. New things will come. God is in the business of making all things new, and He starts with people. He starts with people. Imagine what would happen if more people in greater Orlando were in Christ. Think of all the endings that would take place and all the new beginnings that would take place around this city. You'd see drug addicts and alcohol addicts set free. You would see proud people humbled, self-righteous people made truly righteous, people enslaved to dead religion made alive to Jesus, those morally corrupt begin to walk in integrity, impure people made pure. Why? The old would leave New would come. See, when the old has passed and the new has come, that can save a marriage. It doesn't always, but it can. It can save a life. It can begin to turn around a neighborhood or a city. See, the way you change the world is by changing people. And if you think the world is a scary place, a dangerous place, a broken place, a frustrating place, the gospel is the only hope. It's the only answer to seeing change in our world. What we need most is not more money, better friends, a stronger economy, a job we like more, a picture-perfect family, or our political party in office. No, what we need most is gospel transformation. What we need most is a sin substitute. And we have that in Jesus. What we need most is our sin paid for. What we need most is a spiritual life, being alive to God and dead to sin. New life in Christ, a relationship with God. See, the gospel is the only story that can forever change your story. It's the only story that can forever change your neighbor's story. It's the only one. Listen, when we follow Christ, we experience a lot of endings and a lot of new beginnings. Really for the rest of our life. Transformation is both instantaneous and progressive. And there's a sense in which everything changes when we believe... But then other changes are slow and long. And to be honest, sometimes painful. But change is certain. God is making us more and more like Christ. He changes us at conversion. Continually changes us in our Christian walk to be more and more and more who He created us to be. And the question for us this morning is how bad do we want others to experience that? What are we willing to give What are we willing to sacrifice? How bad do we want to be a part of seeing gospel transformation in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our city, in our world, and in the lives of people, to be honest, we don't even know? That's what it means to love your neighbor. How much do we want it? Here's the thing. What I'm saying we should seek for, live for, and strive for, we can't. 
I'm pitching you a vision we can't accomplish. We can't do it. We can't transform lives. It's impossible for us to do that. Number three, transformation is a miracle of God. Verse 18, he follows that great verse up, that classic verse that you've probably heard, and he says, all this is from God. All this is from God. We can't con people into it, twist arms into it. We can't do it. All of it's from God. The God who has called us to Himself, reconciled us through Christ, the whole new creation we become, the old leaving, the new coming, it's all from God. Gospel transformation is a miracle that God does. It can't be worked up, produced. You can't budget for it. You can't plan for it. And you can't, or can't plan it. You can plan for it, but you can't plan it. You can't strategize it. We can budget towards it. We can plan for it. We can strategize towards it. We can pray for it. It's a miracle of God, though. It's the one thing that we should be positioning ourselves for, praying for, pleading for. It's it's what we can see when we radically commit ourselves to helping people trust and follow Christ. The gospel is God's message. It's God's gospel. It's the story of what He has done in Christ. It's a rescue story where God's son's the hero. It's not about our work and about our doing and our building. If we're to experience gospel transformation, we have to realize it's a miracle. What I'm saying is I want to see North Park be a catalyst for it in Baldwin Park in Greater Orlando. But if that is to happen, it will be a if we're to strive to be that sort of catalyst, we are striving for something we, we can't achieve in our power. We, are, we have to be desperate for God. We have to pray and we have to work and we have to pray and we have to work and we have to pray and we have to share. We have to pray and we have to live and obey and we have to pray. We have to do all those other things that we have to, to pray and depend on God. And we depend on God and we advance the gospel in our lives and in our neighbors' lives and we apply to our lives the gospel. We share the gospel with our neighbors and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we trust that only God can do the saving because it's all of God. And in a spirit of prayer and desperation, we, we seek the Spirit's power. And we ask Him to do in them what we can't do in them and in their hearts. See, if it's all of God, then who gets the glory in all of this? If it's all of God, who gets the glory when lives are transformed by the gospel? Only God can get the glory for that. Why do we exist? We exist to glorify God. That's what the Bible tells us. God God created us to to glorify Him. He made us for His name, for His sake, for, for His glory. That's why we exist. And He gets the glory when lives are transformed because He's the one that does it. It's a miracle of God. Only He can get the glory for it. See, listen, we can build a building. Oh, pastor, no, if we see that building built, God will have done that. The bank builds them all the time. We can build a building. We can save money, give money, and build a building. We can feed people. Pat ourselves on the back for our kindness and generosity. We can have creative ministries. Wow people. Be excited that we're so creative. We can have a rock and worship service and be proud of talented musicians and creative sets and all those things. Here's the thing. Ain't nothing wrong with any of the things I just mentioned. None of them. The point is, some of those things we can fake or we can do in our power. 
We can produce some of those elements in our power, but we cannot produce gospel transformation. We can't do it. We can't do it. It's all of God. When a dead soul comes alive to God, that's a God thing. When a man or woman enslaved to lust, greed, or pride gets set free, that's a God thing. When someone who only cares for themselves becomes radically concerned from the inside out for others due to a changed heart, that's a God thing. When a sinner who loves their sin begins to love Jesus and hates their sin, that's a God thing. And don't you want to be a part of something that you can't do? I've discovered I can't do a lot. I'm very limited in what I can do. You're very limited in what you can do. I want to be a part of something bigger than me, bigger than human power. Don't you want to die knowing you gave everything for the very reason you're here? Don't you want to see lives forever changed, God forever glorified? Don't you want to be more than a spectator in the mission of God? Don't you want to, to know you participated in the reason you were placed on the planet and in a church that was committed to doing and seeing those things happen? Don't you want to see gospel transformation? Imagine with me for a moment a North Park that is a catalyst for gospel transformation in Baldwin Park in Greater Orlando of people who are first changed by the gospel and being changed by the gospel, but they're also seeing the gospel transform their neighbors. Imagine a place radically committed to seeing people take hold of the gospel promise of transformation in their life. People rescued out of sin, set free, placed into Christ. Imagine seeing old things pass away in people's lives. Unbelief and brokenness and shame and guilt. Dead religion and false hopes. Imagine seeing people step into a new beginning. Faith and spiritual life and vitality and freedom and real hope. Let me ask you, can we as a church body be a catalyst for that here in our little church? Catalyst sounds like an awfully big word for such a little church. We are uniquely positioned near the center of of one of the most influential cities in our state. One of the fastest growing cities in the nation. And a very broken city. And we, right now, gather for worship in one of the most influential parts of that city. Just a few miles from downtown. What might God do with a church radically committed seeing gospel transformation in Baldwin Park in greater Orlando. What do we have to do to see that happen? Well, we've got to fully embrace our values. We've got to fully embrace our values. We've got to engage in gospel-fueled worship, which involves the things we do, like teaching the Bible. It involves worshiping passionately. It involves persistent prayer and calling out to God because we know we can't do this. It, 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 it's all about our relationship with the Lord, but we've also got to embrace... In, Encouraging, being encouraged through gospel-shaped community. Loving one another. Serving one another. Being committed together. Linking arms. Realizing we can't do it on our own. And then as a community of faith, opening our lives and opening our homes to our neighbors around us. We can't expect people to walk through the doors of a church building if we don't invite them through the doors of our homes.
That is not how it worked in the New Testament. I don't believe it's how it will work today. And then we've got to be, be equipped and empowered for gospel advancing mission. We've got, to, we've got to know how to go about it. We've got to commit to training people to do that. That's why we do things like three circles training and things of that nature. But we've got to have gospel conversations. The mission has to go forward. We can't see the gospel transform lives if we don't see the gospel hit ears. The gospel doesn't transform anybody that doesn't hear it. It starts there. And we have no control over whether they believe it or not. But you better sure believe we have all kinds of control over whether they hear it. That one's on us. We have been given the command to go, to share, to tell. We can be a catalyst for gospel transformation in Baldwin Park and Greater Orlando where people are engaged in gospel-fueled worship, encouraged through gospel-shaped community, and empowered for gospel-advancing mission. Let me just share with you. I'm about to close. I want to share with you just some basic methods in this for me. Because what we've really been going over the last several weeks, in a sense, is mission, vision, and values. We've talked about helping people trust and follow Christ through worship community and mission. We've talked about those core values of not just any worship community and mission, but, but gospel-fueled worship and gospel-shaped community, gospel-shaped community, gospel-advancing um, um, mission. But how do we decide what to do and how do we make certain decisions? We, we, we know we have to press things through certain decisions and certain things through the lens of mission and even vision, a vision of being a catalyst for gospel transformation in Baldwin Park and Greater Orlando, of seeing lives change. But how do, we, how do we make decisions about these things, about our ministry strategies, about how we're going to do children's ministry and youth ministry and outreach and Sunday morning worship and everything? Everything. Facilities. Everything. Budget. Everything. We have to ask some questions. We have to ask, first of all, is what we're doing biblical? Or is it unbiblical? Right, that's number one. We're Bible people. We're, we're a Bible teaching church, a Bible preaching church. Every, every Sunday, somebody, usually me, gets up, opens this Bible, and teaches from it. We're a Bible teaching church. And so, is it biblical? That's, our, that's, our, that's, the, that's the first thing. That's the first measure of our methods. If we're going to see gospel transformation, we need to ask, is it biblical? Then we, we need to ask, and this is coming more from me, but is it simple? Is it understandable? Where people can get it and understand it. We don't want to complicate things too much. If it's not simple, it's not reproducible. If it's not simple, it's hard to do it well. If it's, if it's not simple, it's hard to be consistent. Is it simple and understandable? Does it make sense? And then excellence. Can we do it well for God's glory? Because everything we're to do, we're to do it as unto the Lord. If that, if that goes for how you do your job, where we're told to do that, where it talks about doing things under the Lord, so how we do our jobs, how much more so does it go for how we do church? We're doing it as under the Lord. Can we do it with excellence? Can we strive for excellence in every ministry area? And that's a very subjective term, by the way. Everybody's got a different standard for excellence. So we have to take pretty much the highest one we can achieve. Excellence. And in relevance. Does it make sense in our time and place? Is what I mean by that. I don't mean chasing fads. I mean in our time and place, does this ministry endeavor make sense? 
these are the kind of questions I ask when I think about things like worship sets and when I think about things like sermon series even, when I think about things like ministry endeavors, when I think about things like building a sanctuary, when I think about things about the worship room, when I think about things like all those, every little decision, I think through this kind of grid, biblical, simple, excellence, and relevance. Because at the end of the day, all those things working together. There's a sense in which we have to own the fact that we are where we are, we are who we are, we are at this time and place. And we have to strive to reach people near 2047 Prospect Avenue, 32814. And we have to strive to see gospel transformation in and near that vicinity best we can. So that means we have to do things well. We need to keep it pretty simple because, well, we're a small church and we can't get too complicated. And, and most importantly, whatever we do has to be biblical. But more than anything, we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And if we're willing to do whatever it takes, we can see it. If we, if we commit ourselves to doing what God's called us to do, we can see what we want to see. If, we're, if we are committed to helping people trust and follow Christ, and we're committed to those core values, and we have methods that make sense and embrace our mission, we can see lives changed for the glory of God in our midst and out from this place. If all we do, though, is strategize and plan and pray for how best to reach and equip satisfy whatever words we want to use, the people that we've already reached, we're dead in the water. And we will fail in the mission of God. We have to continually be asking, how can we reach more people? I hear you say that a lot. I will not apologize for wanting to grow. Neither should you. Neither should any of us. We want to reach people. That is why we're here. So let me ask you some questions this morning as we bring this series to a close. Number one, have you experienced gospel transformation in your life? Are you experiencing it? Are you experiencing it to the degree that you should be? Right? So first of all, are you a believer? Have you crossed the line of faith? Have you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus? That's number one. Has the gospel changed your life? Is your conversion more than some date on a page somewhere? Picture of a baptism. Is it something that happened in your heart, in your life, that still affects you today? Have you trusted Christ? Are you seeing the gospel still change you? Are you growing and maturing in your faith? Have we become stagnant? Have we become stale? God still wants to change us. That's the first question. Secondly, will you own the vision to be a catalyst for gospel transformation in Baldwin Park and Greater Orlando and all that that means for us? Whatever that means for us. I don't know everything that means for us. I don't expect you to. But can we journey towards that direction. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe as, as a, with church in general, maybe you kind of sit on the fence. Some of us do that, right? We like the fence. And we just kind of sit there and, you know, depending on the month, the week, the season, how we feel, how we're doing spiritually, how many quiet times we had that month, kind of Maybe that helps God, whether we're over this side of the fence or we're on this side of the fence or how committed we are, you know. Am I going to give this month? Well, it depends on these other factors. Am I going to attend regularly this month? Well, it depends on these other factors. And everything, and what, what you are is you're, you're circumstance-driven. 
And circumstance begins to drive whether you give. And circumstances begins to drive whether you attend. And circumstances begin to drive whether or not you join the church. And circumstances begin to drive whether or not you're happy with what's going on at the church. And circumstances, 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 circumstances. And if we're driven by circumstances, man, it's hard to say Jesus is Lord if we're driven by circumstances. Are we on the fence this morning? Is there anybody that needs to, in our heart, move all in? Let's bow our heads and pray together.